wouldn't it be neat to hear another law show from the same type of attorneys talking in the same monotone voice saying the same old things over and over again uh no This is Legacy Lawyers. On Legacy Lawyers, you get two big things. Number one, we talk about the juicy details of cases that our law firm has dealt with. Of course, changing the names and details to protect client attorney privilege. And we dive into what options the clients had to choose from to fix their situation. Number two. Number two. You get educated about how the effects of not doing planning can be devastating. Let's get into it. This is Legacy Lawyers, and here are your hosts, Michael Haslam and Nathan Croxford. Hi, everyone. What's up, Michael? How are you, Nathan? I'm doing the podcast stretch. I don't know what it is, but every time I start a podcast episode, I do this stretch thing. Normally I do it before we start and I don't talk about it, but I'm getting warmed up for your, for the podcast. Oh. Yeah, it's just like my arms, my back, open up my chest a little bit. <laughs> it's like you're going to go run a marathon or something. It's like I'm getting ready to get in the ring. Get in the ring. The podcast ring. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're in the Britney Spears case, you probably would feel like you're in a fight because That's all you ever want to talk about anymore just keeps going and going. <clears throat> no, I have to agree that the latest is pretty impressive. But it's we'll amazing just what a little bit of outside pressure can do to a situation. I know there's there's like letters from congress people yeah please come and testify in front of congress we want to hear um, how the our guardianship systems broken yeah discussion about you opening up federal court as a venue to who knows what that was about but we'll have to talk about all that later but yeah she gets to pick her own lawyer now and has picked her own lawyer and the guy is, I forget his name, but he's represented some pretty, like, if you can represent Sean Penn, <laughs> you can probably represent anybody. And Sean Penn had some pretty glowing things to say about him, so. There you go. Well, they, they in the last hearing, they went ahead and her attorney actually resigned. Yeah. He's like, I'm out. It's like rats <laughs> abandoning a sinking ship, ship right now. Bessemer's like, oh, we're out. Sam Ingham's like, uh, I'm out. I thought I thought the conservator of her person was going to be out too, but I but it sounds like she's just battling, kind of pointing the finger at her at Brittany's yes, dad. It's, be... it's all Jamie's fault. So, yep. 
this will take a very different. Well, the most the thing I'm really interested to see how plays out is Brittany's continued to, you know, bring forth um, abuse claims and oh, yeah, she uh, said right out she wants her dad charged mm -hmm. criminally. Yeah. So I think for anyone who I think this case is interesting for anyone who later on acts in the capacity of um, a guardian, right? Like what risk am I taking on by guardian being willing? Conserver, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And normally, you know, it's like, unless you do something abusive, you're fine. <laughs> like, so, uh, yeah, but she is alleging that they've been abusive. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see what comes out of that. Yeah. Like what specifically was abusive and what and the court she may does just about it. consider certain things that were done that were court approved to be abusive. So there may not actually be abuse, but there's also possibility that something outside some egregious claims about like what that doctor was doing to her and stuff like that so mm -hmm. yeah we'll see it's definitely going to be a, it's got wheels yep got legs it's, it's gonna, gonna keep some. it's gonna keep moving along but we're not going to talk about that all day today we're going to talk about the dark side of guardianship you don't want to you don't want to do another not oh, feeling it on the dark side of guardianships yeah not not really up for that but we should talk and we're way past due on talking about when a guardianship is talked about child protection planning guardianship for kids why don't we just have so much to talk about we just haven't i know but i feel like we did talk about it we didn't but we've never i guess we've never gone into any detail we talked about trusts for minors a little mm, bit. That's probably what I'm thinking mm -hmm. about. Yeah. But we haven't talked about one of the main reasons guardianships are available, and that's for minor children, if their parents are not able to be the parents, especially if mom and dad pass away, right? That's a big, 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 big deal. And so guardianships are there to make sure minor children have someone to take care of them mm -hmm. in the event that mom and dad in the event that parents are no longer in the picture for whatever reason typically mm -hmm. because they're dead yeah <clears throat> so when we talk about this it's kind of boring to go through and say hey this is what the statute says and this is when you can have a guardianship and so the guardian does like I like to think about this scenario in a much more practical sense like really what would a family deal with if um, you know what would a family deal with if a parent did die suddenly and what is what does that really look like and what's the challenges you face and and you know how do you address that so with that being said um, I think we should have you share that one experience that you had that I vaguely remember the details on. Yeah, my neighbor. Um, so first of all, why don't we get the disclaimer out so that we've recovered on that. And then, yeah, I'm happy to talk about that story. Okay. 
So Nathan and I are attorneys, but we are doing this podcast for educational purposes only. So anything that you learn from us today is for educational purposes only, and you need to seek independent legal counsel for your own specifics. So Nathan, this story is where parents actually did pass away. A parent passed away, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So just to give you a little bit of background. So um, I'm a, I'm, I'm a couple years older than Mike and I've practiced for a few years longer than Mike and I practiced at other firms um, previous to this one. And one of the things that bothered me about the prior firms where I worked, where we did estate planning is that we would essentially do the same guardian quote unquote guardian work for a retiring couple in their sixties. Um, we would, we would do the same types of things that we do in there, which is basically a one paragraph statement in the will that says, Hey, if I happen to be the guardian of any minor child, just by some weird circumstance and something happens to me, then here's who I would name to, to take over that role if something happened to me. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that's fine. I mean, I have no issues with that. And I think that should be in there, but what bothered me is that when we would work with younger couples and especially younger couples who had minor children and whose main concern when they would come see me was not their assets necessarily, but like, they're, they're having trouble sleeping at night because they're worrying about what would happen if something happened to both of them. And I really didn't at that point in time have a solution for them. And one of the reasons that if you recall, I mean, I know this is going way back, but one of the reasons that um, I decided to move my practice here and join forces with you was because we came up with um, a, a suite, if you will, of legal documents that when we put them all together, we refer to it as a child protection plan. And it's basically got some, um, it addresses all of the issues. I feel like most, if not all of the issues that parents lay awake and worry about when they have young children. Like what if we were in a car accident? What if, and, and you and I have both had this experience where we like um, airlines, we like airline flights because anytime a young couple that has a new baby or they have a couple young kids, um, the first time they're gonna go get on an airplane together tends to be when our phone rings and they're like, um, we've never done anything and what if something happens on our trip? If, yeah. And I always laugh at that a little bit and go, yeah, you know, you realize that like statistically you're much more likely to die driving home. to the grocery store or driving to the airport than you are on the actual airliner. But there's something about when the landing gear goes up and they're in the air that makes people think really seriously about this. So the story that kind of, well, the experience that I had personally 
witnessing a situation that went down with some neighbors um, that really brought this home to me. I mean, we, at the time we were, you and I were already working on a solution because we were both and still are child, uh, children. Yeah, we, my wife would definitely agree that I'm still a child. I don't <laughs> know about Sarah and you, but uh, we were both fathers of young children and this is something that bothered me and concerned me. And so when this happened in my neighborhood, um, we, we got on this double time, made sure that we had a solution. Um, what happened was, and just so everybody knows, I didn't represent this family. Um, I can't, at some point when we told their story, we changed their names, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to remember the names that we came up with. Do you want to come up with some names? Uh, Frank. <laughs> no, let's go. Okay, we'll go <laughs> Cameron. Hey, you just offended all the Franks listening. I'm sorry, Franks. Love you guys, but let's go with Cameron and Natalie as the mom and dad. And the babysitter was Bella. And the babysitter's dad was Tim. Okay, so this is a true story. Names have been changed to protect the identities of the folks that were involved. Um, but this family, when I walk out my front door, um, I look across the street and I see the home where this family used to live. And so I get a daily reminder of um, what happened there. But essentially what happened is um, mom and dad, parents, I mean, they were in their 30s. Um, they had uh, two children, and I don't even remember those kids' names, two sons. Um, and they were probably like nine and 12 years old, respectively. So young kids, but but, but getting kids, up, getting more aware, right? Like, yeah, like knew what was going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, these are not kids you're going to be able to pull the wool over on. So I mean, mm -hmm. they, they, they understood as we'll get into this, like what what went down, like they knew there was an issue. So um, Cameron and Natalie, um, the parents, they went up the canyon during the wintertime, I think this was February, March. Um, and they, they went up to a resort town here in Utah and um, had dinner. And I think they were, I think they were seeing a live band at a, a small venue, a pub or something of that sort. And um, as they were coming down a pretty notoriously dangerous road on their way home, um, whoever was, I think Cameron was driving and he lost control of the vehicle. Um, and they slid off the road and ended up in a ravine that was, that was frozen over, but had water in it. And when either on impact or later as a result of her injuries, Natalie died on the scene. So she was dead when the first responders arrived. Cameron was in like critical touch and go condition and he was life flighted off the mountain um, to a trauma center here down in the Salt Lake area. Um, 
and he thankfully did ultimately recover. But when we talk, when I talk about this, I always kind of talk about some of the permutations of like, well, what if he hadn't have, had, what if he hadn't have survived? And in the meantime, back at home, um, the quote unquote plan that they had for their kids was that they had given their cell phone numbers to the 16 year old girl, Bella, the, the babysitter. And I know. So, Bella. so that's the, that was, so <laughs> yeah. that was the one way they had to contact That was their them. plan. Call and us. I mean, this is you, something that something is pretty common. Like what's your plan? Well, we give our cell phone numbers. We'll come back. If something, if there's a problem, we'll come back. Well, it's like, yeah, that, that's the problem is that 11, 30, 12 o'clock, 1230, you know, 1am starts to roll around. And Bella's calling their phone numbers because they were supposed to be home an hour and a half ago. And they're not even ringing. They're, they're going, they're straight, going to straight to voicemail because those phones are at the bottom. Of, they're in a, a car full of water. Mm. And <clears throat> so ultimately, she calls her dad and, and Tim's like, well, She's like, I don't know what to do, dad. I can't get either one of them. And I mean, the, the boys are asleep and everything's fine, but like they were supposed to be home two hour and a half, two hours ago. He's like, well, I don't really know what to do either, but I guess I'll come over. So he walked down the street and um, they got some blankets out of the closet and just kind of crashed on the couch. They had no, they, they didn't know who to, the family to call. So... So, yeah, so kind of two thoughts there when you say that, like, one, that's kind of tough to put the babysitter and her dad in that situation, right? Like, you guys, I'm sure they were happy to do it, but, like. Well, yeah, I mean, so that, and that's actually something that I talk about with people when I tell this story is that, I mean, it's even worse to put the kids in a situation where they're this vulnerable if something happens and this is something that could happen to anybody mm-hmm. at any time. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I also talk about not just the impact on the kids and the family, but like when, when we talk about Bella and Tim, the trauma that they had to endure as a result of this, it's just, it's not a fair thing to, to ask a 16 year old girl and her dad to figure out for you. So he came over, Tim did, and they, they, just kind of camped out and about 2 30 in the morning there's a knock at the door and it's a county sheriff's officer um, deputy from the county that that we live in and they were on errand from the county where the accident occurred and they were sent to the the home to make a death notification so they show up and they knock on the door and Tim and Bella wake up and open the door and there's uh, you know an officer and he has to let them know that that Natalie died in a car accident earlier that um, night and that Cameron is at a hospital a, a level one trauma center in the ICU struggling for his or in an emergency room I don't know wherever they're taking people like that that have been horribly injured he's fighting for his life. And so they're like, whoa, whoa, like, okay. So probably their worst fears were just 
confirmed, right? Like something. Yeah, happened. I mean, they obviously knew something was up, but then it's got to be a whole different kind of terror when you're being told yeah. that, like the lady that, the the girl that said goodbye to you four or five hours earlier and um, entrusted you with her kids, she's dead. Jeez. So um, they didn't know what to do. Um, so they just finished out the night. And that's where the nightmare begins for me because I think about my own kids and I'm like, if I had a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old and they woke up the next morning after being left with a babysitter and the babysitter is still there and the babysitter's dad is there, I don't care what you say to those kids, they're going to know, they're going to automatically think the worst. Yeah, they're going to um, know something way, they're going to know something way, way terrible has happened. happened, right? Like that is not, they've, they've, they've had a babysitter many times before. This is the first time they've ever woke up and the babysitter had a sleepover and mom and dad are nowhere to be found. And I've never had the, I don't know if guts is the right words or, but, but I've never dare asked, I've never dare asked him and, and Bella, Bella's now married and out of the house and, but Tim and his um, wife and family still live in that same, in their home. Um, the family that this happened to Cameron, when he ultimately recovered, they eventually moved, but I've never had a, really had had it in me to ask Tim and Bella what it was like that night but in a way it doesn't really matter because what I know for a fact is that what happened that night is not what Cameron and Natalie would have wanted for their kids it's not what the kids would have wanted if they would have been able to choose how they would have had to face that situation um, it's not what Bella signed up for when she agreed to babysit two boys. It's not what Tim signed up for when he allowed his daughter to go babysit two boys for a few hours. Um, but around this same time, um, so I've never asked, but I just know that it might, I, I, I can imagine what, like, do you tell the boys? Do you, do you say? Yeah. I mean, like, what do you say? What would you say? What if you're the dad and it's your daughter that's babysitting the boys and they, they wake up and they're like, well, where's mom? Where's dad? What are you guys still doing here? Do you tell them? Um, there was an accident. And there's an accident and we're trying to call family. Is that all you say? <laughs> I guess. I mean, I don't, I don't know. know. So I don't want to be the one to say your mom passed away. That's no. Ooh. So turns out that Cameron's parents were out of the country and oh, it no. took them days to, or day, days to get back. Um, Natalie's family was um, local, but nobody knew how to contact them. They didn't know her maiden name. They didn't, you know, and I, and I don't know that I, for whatever reason, it took a period of time. I mean, they, the grandparents on Natalie's side were not able to, they weren't notified till the following day. Oh, wow. And so you wonder, well, why wouldn't the 12 year old know? But I guess, you know, different times. Um, 
you 12 year olds don't typically, well, maybe they do, but my 12 year olds don't have cell phones with grandma's numbers saved in them. So anyway, bottom line is, is that those, the babysitter and the dad had to deal with that the next morning. And um, at the time, at this, around the same time frame, another neighbor of mine was a um, police officer and uh, an EMT. And, um, and his name was John. I could have made that up, but I'll tell you, his name was John. John um, lived about two houses down from me. And so about four houses down from um, Cameron and Natalie. And in the weeks following this, as we were watching kind of the aftermath of it unfold, you and I were still kind of working on our, our solution for young parents, how we were going to help avoid a scenario like this. And I sat down with John. I said, John, I have a couple of questions for you. I said, well, if, if you had been the Davis County Sheriff's officer um, and you'd received the notice or the, the call from uh, this other county that you need to go make a death notification, if you were the guy that had been called to show up at the home and make that notification, what would that, have, how would that have gone? Like, was what's your job in terms of making sure the kids are okay? Would you know that they have kids? Would, he's like, well, I don't know if they knew that they had kids, but certainly the age of the parents would suggest that, um, you know, they probably, probably did. So he's like, my job would be first and foremost to show up and notify whoever was there, hopefully family, but if not family, then a responsible adult that there had been a death. And um, he said, I'm sure I would have asked about the kids and because Tim was there, Bella, the babysitter's dad, I would have been pretty comfortable leaving them after being assured that, you know, we're going to contact, we're looking for the family, the extended family, we're going to contact them first thing in the morning, or we're trying to contact them now. And he said, so I probably would have left it at that. And I said, okay, well, let me change this up a little bit. What if it's just Bella, just a 16 year old girl who's mm -hmm. scared to death. And she's been there for four and a half hours longer than she was supposed to be. And she answers the door, huge eyes, like deer in the headlights, like what? what? <laughs> He's like, well, at that point in time, I, my job is not to, you know, help manage the situation with the kids. He's like, I would stay on the scene. I would try to find a responsible adult, but if, you know, worst case scenario, I'd have to contact Division of Child and Family and have them send a social worker out to do a, an assessment. And, you know, at that point in time, I mean, I've since had some discussion with um, somebody that works for Division of Child and Family, and I've, I've learned a lot about how they work, and they do actually, Mike and I are in Utah, and Utah is actually one of the better jurisdictions when it comes to trying to place people with family before taking kids into temporary protective custody. But temporary protective custody is always going to be on the table because if somebody can't be reached, then they're going to place them in a foster home for a period of time. And in my mind, that just, I mean, it, every time I hear that, I just, I feel like I've been hit in the head. Like that cannot happen. Like I, my, I think of my own kids I mean, 
we've had kids that had some separation anxiety that have dealt with different fears. And if a social worker showing up and taking my kids to a home they've never been in at a time when they just woke up and learned that mom and dad aren't coming home. I mean, the damage that is going to be done is going to happen in the hours, day, maybe first few days, most of the damage, and it's probably going to be irreversible damage psychologically to those kids is going to happen in those first few days. And so, um, you know, that's where we started to focus our efforts in terms of how do we help young families deal with this. So then I also said to, and we'll get, we'll get into that in a, in a, in a minute, but I also, I also changed up one more time for John. I said, okay, well, let's say that it wasn't 16 year old babysitter. Let's say it was by the time you showed up, um, family was already aware that, um, you know, there'd been a death or both parents were deceased and you've got brother from Cameron's side and sister from Natalie's side. And both of them have had separate conversations with Cameron and Natalie, where Cameron has said to his brother, Hey, if something, just so you know, if any, something's ever happened, it's ever, ever happens to us, you're the one that's getting our kids. And Natalie's had a conversation where she told her sister, same thing, same thing. If something happens, you, you would be the ones. And I can't count how many times in meetings when with young couples, a lot of couples have done that where I'll say, <laughs> so who's the person? And they'll simultaneously say out loud different names. And then they look at each other in shock. Like what we talked about this, <laughs> what are you? No, we talk. And then they argue and it's like, yeah, that's exactly what's happened in way too many cases is that dad's expectation is different than mom's. Like the two parents don't, they can come to an agreement, but they have had separate conversations with different sides of the family. And I said, so what if Johnny showed up and, and Cameron's brother and Natalie's sister, they've got a hold of an ankle and, and a wrist <laughs> and kind of tongue in cheek here. Yeah. And they're yanking on the kid and they're like, no, I'm taking him. No, I'm taking him. No, I'm taking him. And they both feel like they're doing the right thing. I said, what if you show up and that's the case? And he said, well, that's going to pretty much be an automatic division of child and family calling Call. the social worker for an yeah. evaluation. Um, and he's like, I would stay on scene to keep the peace, but I'm not going to be judge and jury and sit there and decide who gets to take the kids. <laughs> and he's like, social worker with, with family members fighting over that is going to say, no, they're coming with me. They're going to temporary protective custody. And when you guys get this sorted out in court, you'll let us know and, and we'll place them. Well, and they usually have pretty broad discretion at that point. Once mom and dad are not available, the state has the legal authority to make sure that what the children are safe. And so, I mean, yeah. if they, if they don't have, if they don't, if they have family members fighting over kids and they don't feel like that's a safe environment for them, that they, they can make a different choice. So, well, and if, if you were having that scenario, like it'd be hard to imagine how that could be considered safe, because even if mm -hmm. you were to manage to get the kids in, into one car and get them headed to the right house, like what's to keep the other family from 
showing up at their house and continuing the struggle conversation. Well, and on the other side of that, Nathan, I've had, I've had some meetings with couples and they've never really talked about it. So like the blank look, when we like, so who do you think would be best to be, you know, the guardian? It's kind of like, um, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Like, there's like no, well, or even I've even had it worse where a couple comes in and they think they're just there to talk about the assets. And I start talking about this. And by the end of it, I wish I could take pictures of some of these people because their eyes are like as big as silver dollars. And they're staring at me like you're blowing our minds right now. Like we have not thought about what, what would happen. Like we've never talked about this. And then they're just like, like, can we, any chance we could sign all these documents before we leave today? <laughs> it's like, not only do, wanna, do we want to hire you, we don't want to leave the office until this is done because we're terrified of what might happen. So, I mean, I sometimes planning attorneys are accused of telling horror stories to motivate people to, to do the things they should do, right? To plan and and get things done or you could even be more jaded and say to pay us to do the work but what I always tell people is hey I don't I reserve the right to tell horror stories that I've personally witnessed or had to live through as a lawyer or as a as a you know family member so well it is a but it is a horror story and it really happened and like it's guess, not, a, but I it's not you a could horror just, story that I made up to motivate people. It's a real you life could just scenario. Per, we could that, just pretend it never happened and everything. And right now, even though I've changed the names, like if people in my neighborhood are listening to this podcast, they're going to know exactly the scenario that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. They know this. They know this happened. So, um, so I, I was going to come back and say one well, more thing about. No, go ahead. And one last comment on that. Like I've talked to several different, you know, police departments and just say, Hey, you know, if you get a call and you're going to a house and you're, you know, there's this scenario where there might be just minors, you know, what, you know, what's your approach in that? And I get different responses yeah. kind of across the board. Yeah. And I, and I've had that experience as well, I guess where I got a little bit more reassurance um, was when I talked to this um, social worker that actually did this work at Division of Child and Family. But it's interesting because she was calling not, not just to have a conversation with me. She was calling to put her own plan plan in place for her kids. I said, that's interesting. She's like, well, hey, I, I told you that Utah does a good job. And that we try really hard to to place people with families and we try to use temporary protective custody and foster families as a last resort. But she's like, um, and by the way, when you say the state has a bias in favor of keeping the kids safe and that safe to them is foster families, that just like makes me, that makes me sick to my stomach. I mean, nothing against foster families, but who knows who these people are? Like, I don't know who these people are. My kids don't know who these people are. They've passed a background check, but, and they've had to go through some paperwork and Training I'm sure they're usually, and they're, and some of them are saints. Like I know people that have taken mm-hmm. foster kids and adopted them um, and given them great lives. But, but what the social worker said is no matter what the outcome, the state is not equipped to raise children 
They're not equipped to take care of children. They're not equipped for it. It's just not a satisfactory substitute for parents um, or family, extended family. So she's like, that's why I want to do my plan because I'm not going to just rely on the best or one of the best system. jurisdictions, even though it's, you know, I just, even though it's one of the best, it's still not good enough. Good enough. Is what she said. Mm -hmm. So, um, so essentially um, what we did is we decided, look, we've got to come up with something that um, addresses this for families because by the time I'm done explaining, you know, I have this discussion, people are freaking out. I'm like, okay, it's okay, calm down because believe it or not, we have gone to great lengths to perfect a system that we create for young families that address these very issues. And that makes it so that in this same scenario, if they'd had a plan in place, like the ones that, that we do, um, first of all, babysitter would not have been calling her dad. Nope. Um, because the first thing that would happen is the babysitter before parents leave would be shown, here's a piece of paper or snap a picture of this now nowadays and keep it in your phone. If we don't come home by this time, don't call the police, don't report us missing, don't do any of that. Like let that process unfold however it's gonna unfold. That's not what we're, what we're worried about. But what you do is you call down through this list of three or four families that we have hand selected and that we have worked with our attorney to prepare proper legal documents and they ha they have those documents in their possession and they know that if they get a call from a babysitter late at night or at any time of day for that matter um, that their job is to not ask questions not call the police their job is to grab their envelope or they've got it on their phone and to get in their car and get to my house and pick up my kids they'll happily happily pay you your going rate plus a nice tip and send you home and then their their job from there is to take care of my kids and I want them to get them out of my house and these are people that if they showed up and said hey guys to my kids sleep over you know they'd be like what you know it'd be like party mm -hmm. and and they could and then their job is to act as a buffer and to keep things you know, to protect them from hearing things they shouldn't hear, from being taken into protective custody, from, I mean, it's powerful if somebody shows up at the door and not only are you a responsible adult, but you're holding a legal document in your hand or you've got a picture of a legal document on your phone that has the parent signatures that says, if I'm not able to be, you know, contacted, then these people have the legal right to to have custody of my kids for a period of time. That's powerful. Yeah, it makes it easy, right? The police officer doesn't have to oh, think twice about go, it. Oh, wow, what? that's awesome. You this know? is where the kids should be. There's no questions about it. Yeah, and maybe, and so then the other thing is people are, I've had scenarios where they're like, well, we live here, we're landlocked in the middle of the United States, and but we don't have any family we have family on the East Coast, we have family on the West Coast, we have family in the Midwest, we have family in the North, Northeast or whatever. 
and I say, that's fine. It doesn't have to be family. Like these can be trusted friends, close friends, um, people you consider family, and they're not going to be the permanent scenario or the permanent solution that their job is, like I said, I feel like the day, the, the, the risk of permanent damage for kids in these scenarios is more likely to happen in the first few hours, the first few days, the first few weeks, than than whatever it is that happens down the road when, when things have been settled. So name those um, family members that are on the East coast or that are, you know, not local, name them as the permanent solution. And we, we provide a way for them to do that. And then we just help these um, folks that are local understand your job is just to make sure that you take good care of them and you keep them out of harm's way and you keep them in your custody until those um, permanent know, guardians that we want to be the permanent guardians show up. And then you hand them off and your job is, is done. Um, yeah, and this person is someone that, as a parent, I'm going to trust 100% to talk to my kids the right way about what's exactly. happened, right? Yeah, like, um, and maybe I even trust the temp, you know, like our temporary people, the local people to do that. But at the very least, they'll be able to, they'll know how to feel out the situation. What do we tell them? Do we have to tell them anything? Are they old enough to understand that, yeah, there's been a problem and I'd rather have somebody like that breaking the news because that person, I've asked them to do it. Mm -hmm. They're prepared to do it if, if the time comes where they're asked, where they're called on to do it. They're going to do it in a loving way. I mean, I'm sure that Tim and Bella did their best, but they had no time to prepare for that. Yeah, They've and never been asked for that. There was no amount of money you could have paid Bella that would have compensated her for the trauma that she went through having to see that go down as a 16 year old girl. Yeah. And the parent and the person you pick is going to usually be someone who knows your children well, right? Like they're not going to just be like, well, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I always tell people pick somebody that your kids are going to be excited to see. Like they have kids the same age that are friends or they have cousins um, where they're like, when they show up, it's like instant smiles and let's grab blankets and let's head over to our house and it's party time, you know? Mm -hmm. And even though it's a hugely stressful situation and everybody's aware of that, you're able to buffer those kids and, and wrap them in a protective covering and keep them from getting banged up in this process. Um, the other thing we do is make sure that anybody that has custody of those kids has a, a medical power of attorney. So if there's a medical emergency with one of those kids, they can um, make medical decisions for them. I've had families come in and they say, we know who we want to take our kids, but we also know that we absolutely do not want my uncle Billy and aunt Sally. Sorry for the Billies and Sally's. We don't want uncle Billy and aunt Sally to ever take them. And I've had everything from because uncle Billy's a registered sex offender to aunt Sally's a addicted to prescription meds and even less severe than that. You know, we just, 
we don't agree with their parenting style. They don't share our family values. They don't, we don't like their methods of discipline. They're not good with finances. Um, they should, or I had a situation recently where they're like, we're worried that they would make a play for our kids because they would know that there's money involved and yep. they'd be able to use those kids as leverage to get to the money. Yeah, that's a common concern I've had is like, we don't think they would really want our kids, but we know they would, they want, would want the money. control of our kids' money. And so we're so really we're concerned they would want to be yeah. the We're person. actually able to execute a, an, a, an exclusion, exclusion document where we can say, we've already selected these people, but if you're on this list, you're never to have our kids. And I always tell my clients, look, don't pull punches in that document. Lay it out. Tell us the real reasons because it's a confidential. And then post it on Facebook. Yeah, no. Then mail it to the family. No, (laughs) it's confidential. Like I tell them, look, the only way that document's ever coming out of the binder, ever coming out of my records, the only time it's ever going to be shown to those people Mm. is if you're both dead and your guardian has, your chosen guardian has petitioned to get, you know, guardianship and conservatorship of your children. And these people have come along and objected or filed a counter petition and they're challenging this. At that point in time, I'm going to call their lawyer or I'm going to call them if they're not represented. I'm going to say, we need to talk. And then I'm going to pull that document out and I'm going to use it like a billy club. Because (laughs) what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, look, here's how it's going to go down. This document was completed by the the parents and they don't want you to be the guardians of their children. And here's why. And I'm sure that at that point, you know, feelings are hurt and people are shocked and whatever. But if I'm deceased and my wife is deceased, I don't care at that point in time if my other family members' feelings are hurt. What I'm caring about is, are my kids okay? And so what I'm going to say to the to the family that's making the play against the parents wishes is there's a couple ways this can go down. You can drop your petition and I'll walk away and this will go back in my records and no one will ever see it. But if you do continue, and this isn't like blackmail, I'm not saying, well, if you don't pay me X number of dollars, I'll and you're going to post it on Facebook. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. But what I will tell them is look, if this, if you, if this ends up in a, you know, contested guardianship scenario, then I'm going to be sitting at, I might not be the lawyer petitioning for the guardianship, but I'll be sitting at their, at that council table on that side of the courtroom. And this exclusion will be coming in as evidence. And so that information is going to become public in some regard. It may be, I mean, guardianship and conservatorship proceedings are pretty protected, but um, family's going to usually know, out. right? The other family members. Are Everybody gonna... in the family is going to know. Maybe they already do know, but maybe they don't. But mm-hmm. then the bigger thing is that you can walk away and have it not be ever made public. But, but even if you're not okay with me making it public, what judge in his or her right mind is going to sit at that bench with an exclusion document in front of them that lays out reasons why those people are not a good fit and that it's, it's been duly executed and it's signed and notarized by the parents and witnessed. What judge is going to award guardianship to those people over 
the people that are on the other side of the room that have been nominated by the parents in a witnessed notarized nomination document i just i don't know of a court that would do that it wouldn't happen yeah it wouldn't no way and and so people listening probably right now is like well wait i thought if i sign the nomination it's slam dunk that's who my guardian is yeah well it is in the sense that the court is looking for guidance and any guidance that the parents give before something bad happens is going to be heavily, heavily weighted. Yeah. And it's going to depend on your jurisdiction a little bit. Like some jurisdictions will have us have a rule that says, you know, if the parents nominated someone, the judge must follow that unless there's Mm -hmm. something, you know, obvious, like the person they nominated, you know, has an addiction to drug problem. You know, in that case, Mm -hmm. the judge can be like, yeah, we're not letting the kids go in that environment, even though mom and dad said that's where they wanted them to go. Right, and that's why we stack these people. So that's why mm-hmm. we would make it so that there's more than one choice. So that if there's not one suitable, um, if the scenario that we thought would be ideal is it turns out not to be ideal, then there's a second and a third choice. And what we've, what we've learned is it's a voluntary job, right? Like someone might tell you today i'm up for taking your kids and then then they might be five years later something's going on yeah it may not even be that they don't want to it may be that they want to but they've got a family situation that doesn't allow for it yeah they have health challenges or they they have an issue with one of their kids sick or they had somebody die in their family or they've had a huge financial setback but um but but what i've my experience has been that anytime i've been in court it's being a judge is not an easy job. Um, they're generalists, unless you're doing corporate law in Delaware, and then there's a separate bench for that, but they're generalists. Um, and I guess in this scenario, you'd maybe have a judge that dealt with guardianship and family law issues, but, but they're just pleading for the lawyers to give them direction and guidance. And if you can hand them something as the counsel for the, for the family that's been nominated by the um parents to get (laughs) guardianship i mean they're gonna they're gonna eat that up they're gonna want to follow that they're gonna do everything they can to make that reality come to pass and so even though there is going to be a court proceeding having this plan in place is going to vastly increase the odds that things turn out the way that you want them to yeah and it makes it very unlikely that anyone would object to the proceeding right because Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, if and your family form to object, if, if your family knows, you know, you nominated this person in writing, they're not, they're not going to try to contest it. Unless, well, you would hope not unless but they had a good did, reason. Even if they did, it would make it harder for them to prevail or to have yeah. the objection. Have It would be hard. Mm-hmm. Have any effect. So I guess like when you pair that with the other things that we've talked about, if you, if you take that, scenario and you say okay now what's your plan it's not just oh we gave our cell phone numbers to the babysitter can you imagine in this scenario if at 11 30 when bella looks at the clock and she's like man they were supposed to be home an hour ago, hour ago. Or whatever 12 o'clock 12 30 she she pulls out her phone and she's got the numbers of three families and she calls the first one and they don't answer and she calls the second one and they pick up 
Um, and within 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes max, somebody's shown up, they paid her, she's been sent home. Um, the kids are taken out of the house. Nobody's there when the police are knocking at the door. The kids are not around to hear that notification. They're safe. I mean, when, when I, when I lay all that out for people, um, the, the relief that I see wash over them is just like palpable in the room. Mm-hmm. And it's, and- to be honest, it's my, one of my favorite, I know I say this a lot, but I really love working with veterans and their families. I mean, I like all the planning that we do. I love doing asset protection planning, but I, if I had to say like, what's the closest thing to my heart, it's young parents with minor children and their planning. It's, it's just really, it's just really sad, you know, satisfying to get that peace of mind that you've, it's satisfying for me as the lawyer to help somebody get that mm-hmm. peace of mind, but it re- it's super satisfying and relieving and empowering and, and liberating for the parents to know that it's taken care of. And there's, there's even another thing that, you know, some of our, some of our clients will do. And I do, I don't know if you do this, Nathan, but like I have a card in my wallet that lists my three top families. Yeah. So, so if I'm in a wreck, and they find me and it's right behind my driver's license. So I'm hoping when they pull my driver's license out, they see this um, list of, you know, the people I would want to call. And it just says, Hey, if, if, if I'm in an accident, please contact these individuals. I have minor children at home and this person is who I would want to, you know, take to have my kids. And so my hope is there's not even a, like a normal notification, right? They call, they call the people that I trusted. And mm-hmm. the only problem I see with that is that I've seen your wallet, Mike, and it could take three hours for them to find no, that card. I, so you better make it prominent. Like I, is it hot pink? And it's the very first thing that you see when you open it. It, it is, does have pink in it. Cause like, I don't know how you haven't had a back surgery yet from sitting on that thing. You just never know when you're going to need that really old um, rewards card from that one grocery store out of state that you visited that one time. Mm-hmm. You might need that. So you just you just need to attach straps to it and start carrying it around like a purse. It's more of like a. That's essentially what it is. It's more of. No, I downsized, Nathan. You haven't seen my. No, I have not. Normal and wallet. And I haven't seen it and I don't believe it until I see it. I purged it. I just, um, the other thing I'd say about that, I I would love to continue to joke about your wallet, but, um, we'll have to let people just use their imaginations on that one. It's huge. I'll just tell you, I mean, at least three inches, three and a half inches thick. Oh my goodness. You just, Hey, if you don't, it's, it's four. I can't okay. believe you just shorted it that much. I was going to say, I, I was going to go with four, but I didn't want to be called. Now I'm offended. I didn't want to be overstating things. Um, there was something else I was going to say about, oh, the other thing that I will tell families, and I don't know if you do this, but go add those two or three or four families, go add them to the list of people at your kids' schools that can withdraw them from school. Oh. Because what if this happened during a that. school scenario and there was a reason that they couldn't wait till school let out? 
they're not going to be able to take those kids out of school unless they're on the list. But you can add multiple people, people. To the list that are not. Mm. In fact, I know that because we have kids. We have our we have our people listed at the school as being able to remove our kids from school. That is a good idea. That is a good idea. So another thing is, what if your older child's the babysitter? Then that older child has exactly the same instructions. Mm -hmm. They know who to call. They know not to panic. They know that there's a plan that's already laid out and that they're going to be fine. And that's where I like the thing in the wallet is because if, if my my daughter was babysitting it would be preferred well, that... and we're in a little different scenario because mm-hmm. my oldest now is officially an adult mm-hmm. by most standards he's 18 but um but yeah if your oldest child is still quite young then that's where the wallet thing would come in handy if she's watching the kids yeah it'd be ideal if Mm-hmm. she didn't have to call our temporary guardians and say, Hey, yeah. my parents aren't answering for sure. But and sometimes people say, well, I think we'd be fine because it's always my mom that watches my kids anyway. And I'm like, well, okay, but why not make it legal for the mom to continue yeah. that? Yeah. Make it Let official. Mom do it, but make sure that she's got the, the legal document in her possession or saved on her phone. I haven't had that very often. I know most people have their first choice, but like, I haven't had I too many had people. quite a bit of that where. Really? They're like, I only let one person watch my kid. Because my kid. They watch them quite a bit. Yeah, but but that that's the only person that ever watches the children? Sometimes. Hmm. That's some. Especially when it's like a brand new baby. I can see it with a baby. Mm-hmm. you have a short list but yeah so then um just to kind of wrap this up um when you pair this guardianship this child protection guardianship um the set of documents that we kind of call a child protection plan when you pair that with um the trust a trust then essentially what i tell my clients is the trust is the financial engine that's going to drive this thing forward for years to come. It's where the life insurance proceeds will pay into. And then just, I mean, it's just so sweet when they walk out and they've got their trust and it's set up properly with the, with the proper people as trustees and it's got all their um, guardianship documents squared away and um, my name and numbers everywhere, the firm's name and numbers everywhere. So that like, if family needed guidance, they could call and we could tell them exactly how things are supposed to fall into place. Yeah. It's, it's a fantastic plan. And it's, it's something that a lot of young parents haven't done anything on. And you just don't know. You don't, I mean, every, every time I check the news, there's some really sad story and, and it's like, man, and obviously, because this is what I do, I always think, I hope they had a good plan, you know? Um, I mean, a few years ago, we had a, you'll remember this, we had a small plane go down, a, 
crashed oh, yeah. on a. There's two families, huh? I think three families. Oh, was it? And um, we actually know or know of these families because they were from where my wife grew up. And I mean, that was my first thought. And that plane went down like in the middle of a busy road. Thankfully, I don't think it hurt anybody else, but it killed everybody aboard. And all of a sudden, there's three families with young kids without parents. Yeah, it's too, it's so it is serious. It's legit. So, so I always one last thing I say to to families: you you spend every waking hour as a parent making sure your kids are safe, that they're not naked somewhere eating dirt. Um, depending on their age, they may be doing that. They might. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm talking the younger side. Hopefully not. Like the one-year-old likes dirt. No, the one-year-old likes to be naked and likes to eat dirt. And so you spend all your time chasing them and making sure they're okay. And then when I ask you, well, what would happen if you weren't around? People want a solution where they can say, you know what? I'm a responsible parent in every aspect. Even if I'm gone, I've done everything that's humanly possible to make sure my kids are taken care of. And then I tell these families and they understand this, that like, there's no substitute for, for parents. So your job after you finish your planning is to go continue to be safe, live a long, productive, happy life, raise those babies to adulthood and watch them raise their kids so that this planning never has to come into play. But if the worst happens, you've done everything you can to continue to be the the best possible parent that you could for them. And that includes leaving detailed instructions for your guardians, laying it all out so that it would be as seamless as possible. It's not going to mean that it's going to be easy. We're not trying to paint a picture that it's all butterflies and rainbows at that point in time, but this is powerful. This is the real deal. This is, this makes real impact in people's lives. Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. So everyone, thanks so much for listening. Um, If you have minor children or you have children with minor children, share this podcast with them so they can educate and they can find someone great to help them protect their kids. So, And we will then, I guess we can go back to the dark side of guardianship (laughs) in the future as we get more into the abuses. So not the... But it's good to know that there's um, the system can work, and in most cases it does work, and it would definitely. This plan is better than cell phone numbers as your only plan. Yep, it is by far. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. You've been listening to Legacy Lawyers with Michael Haslam and Nathan Croxford. We give you the juicy detail of cases that our law firm has dealt with. We take out the lawyer talk and legalese and show you what options some of our clients had to choose from to fix their situation. The effects of not doing planning can be devastating. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hook up with us on Facebook and Instagram at Voyant Legal. Call us at 801-951-0500 or send us an email at 
team at voyantlegal.com. And for commonly asked questions, hit voyantlegal.com slash resources. We'll see you next time.